I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass, busted draft pick, and game-changing play. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow and listen to Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I mean, the possibilities are limitless, Kevin. What if Portland drafted Michael Jordan? What if the NBA never vetoed the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers? That's a butterfly effect for real. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball, Players Edition. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Taking you inside the clubhouse for the biggest stories across the game with former major leaguers. Bellinger swings, high fly ball down the line. Off for the Featuring ex-outfielder turned Radio.com sports insider and San Diego Padres analyst Tony Gwynn Jr. They're not going to be pushed around at any point, regardless of what their record is. And former catcher turned Radio.com sports insider and Philadelphia Phillies analyst Ben Davis. It's very alarming. I had them right about 500. It's all on Radio.com sports big time baseball players edition. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball, Players Edition. Alongside Tony Gwynn Jr., I'm Ben Davis. Each week, we'll be diving into the top stories across baseball, giving you a breakdown of the games and biggest headlines from our perspective as former big leaguers. We'll also have a variety of baseball voices on the podcast. On this episode, Joe Girardi, the four-time World Series champion and now a Radio.com Sports Insider, will join us later. Big Time Baseball, Players Edition is a part of Radio.com which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free, anytime, anywhere. Listen to over 300 stations and over 1,100 podcasts. Explore by location or genre to find music, news, and sports from your own location or across the country. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Tony Gwynn Jr., how are you? I'm well, brother. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Just give a little background about each of us. I was played seven years in the big leagues for the San Diego Padres, Seattle Mariners, and the Chicago White Sox. I currently am in my fifth year of doing color commentary for Philadelphia Phillies uh, television on, on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And uh, when I'm not doing that, I do work in the studio for the pre- and post-game shows and I've been doing that for about 10 years now, so it's been uh, it's been a good ride and look forward to getting this podcast going. Tony, tell us a little about yourself. Well, uh, I played parts of eight seasons for the Brewers, the Padres, the Dodgers, and the Phillies. Uh, I then moved into uh, broadcasting and TV pre and post with the Dodgers for a year. Padres for the last three years doing pre and post on TV. I do color on the radio. 
uh, and I host a few of the Padres uh, shows as well. So uh, it's it's a busy time here in San Diego, but I'm certainly excited about getting this podcast rolling. Well, to give everybody a little bit of background, uh, I was very, very fortunate to play with Tony's father, uh, Tony Gwynn, and uh, just a, a wonderful man, a wonderful father, and an absolutely wonderful ball- baseball player, um, eight batting titles, and he was my locker partner. Uh, and <laughs> you know what? It was getting to go to the ballpark every day and, and, and seeing him and, and seeing him how he could play. And unfortunately, I got to, to catch him more towards the end of his career. His knees were, were barking, but the man still could hit. And just to listen to him talk about hitting, it was just a pleasure to, uh, to talk to him every day and um, hear him, what he had to say about baseball. Um, and now get to work with his son, Tony Gwynn Jr., who I remember back in the day we'd be taking batting practice, and this little kid, well, he wasn't so little, be flying all around the outfield, catching balls in BP, and and I said, who is that? He said, that's Tony's son. That's Junior. And I said, oh, my gosh, he's flying out there. So we kind of talked him into uh, to shagging all the balls so we wouldn't get all tired. He was all over, <laughs> all over the outfield, weren't you? You guys used to trick me with the game of 500, make me think that I was actually getting in some work out there. You guys were just taking it easy and, and having a good time out there. But I, that, that pretty much uh, that time of my life kind of raised me and got me prepared for when I got – my own opportunity to play. So I, I was very thankful uh, to be around a lot of big leaguers and, and gain a lot of knowledge through that time. And uh, it, it just was a lot of fun. And you, you talk about the, the type of the quality of the, some of the guys in that on that ball club. Obviously, oh, the man. Padres went to the World Series in 98. But just the character of some of the players, uh, they're just really great guys. Ken Caminiti, uh, Andy Ashby, Wally Joyner, uh, just really good guys. Kevin Brown. Obviously, Trevor Hoffman. Talk a little about the character of some of these guys that, that you grew up with. I, I mean, I mean, you kind of hit on it. I mean, when when I'm walking around the locker room, I mean, there would be two Hall of Famers in that locker room, and my father and Trevor Hoffman. You had guys like Greg Vaughn, uh, King Caminiti, and and guys like Mark Sweeney. I mean, it wasn't just the stars in, uh, the, in '90, especially the team in '98, and uh, being able to pick the minds of of guys like Ricky Henderson and. Uh, you know, it, it definitely it definitely was an advantage for for a kid like myself to be to be able to to lean on guys like that when it came to the game of baseball. And uh, I, I I tell everybody who asks, it, it's it's having those guys involved at that point in my life. I mean, it was I was nine through seventeen with the time I was the time I spent in the in the locker room. Uh, it, it really shaped me not only from a baseball standpoint, but from a life standpoint. A lot of, a lot of life lessons learned uh, being in that clubhouse. So uh, very fortunate, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where not everybody gets a chance to, to do something like that. Yeah, you know, I remember back, uh, you know, you harken back on different things, and obviously uh, a big event in my life, and, you know, people still bring it up. I don't know why, but they always do, and I had to – I ended up breaking up a, a perfect game against oh, Kurt Schilling. Yes. Um, but I remember your father was the first person that I went to for advice. And I, I, I had the bond, you know, it was just a 2 nothing game. And I figured, you know, and my quotes after the game I thought were spot on. I said, if anyone saw my first two at-bats, they would have known that swinging the bat was not a way I was going to get a hit. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, right, Junior? It's like, yeah, uh, it's no like doubt. I got no chance. So I dropped down a bond. It wasn't the best. But, you know, what? it was a knock. I got on base. And then I remember going back to catch the next inning and at the old ballpark at Qualcomm, and it was just, you know, the dugouts are right there. There are walkout dugouts. 
and they just started barking the the, the Diamondbacks, and I, I kept looking over and I said, "Man, these boys are so upset about something," and then I realized <laughs> that it was me they were upset about. So the the inning ending, and I sought advice from your dad, and I, I went in there. And I said, "T," I said, "Why are they so mad?" And he goes. Man, the hell with those guys. Or you may have had some other choice words, believe me, that we yeah, can't mention I, on the podcast. Here, here's, here's the thing is that I, I was there that day. I remember you coming up. I was Because my dad wasn't playing that day. His knees were, were beat up. But, uh, <laughs> but your, your dad put my mind at ease. And if your dad said it was okay, then I know it was okay. But uh, Well, let's move on. Well, let's talk a little bit about those Padres in the National League West. I know you get to see these guys a lot. Um, what do you see out there right now? You know, Ben, it's it's a fun team. Uh, it's a much improved team from the last two years. Uh, obviously, you bring a guy like Manny Machado in, and it, you start to see the pieces kind of fall into place. A year before that, the Padres were able to to sign Eric Hosmer, and you know, having those two guys together, I think it's made a it's made a big it's been a big deal for Eric Hosmer especially. You know, he hasn't had to shoulder the the sole lo- the load of being the sole face of the franchise, you know, and uh, I think if you know Eric Hosmer at all, he takes that kind of stuff to heart and, and he, he wants to be that guy. And I think it took away from his actual being on the field and the things he needed to do. So now you bring fast forward to this year, you bring a guy like Manny Machado in and everybody gets better from the moment you pencil him in the lineup, whether it's the guys in front of him or whether it's the guys behind him. And, and what we've seen is guys like Eric Hosmer, uh, the young kid, Fran Reyes, who's hitting in front of, Machado, these guys have really started to take off, and still, this this ball club still has a little bit of ways to go. Uh, the pitching is not quite where it needs to be. A really, really young staff. I, I, Chris Paddock has obviously been a talk nationally, and you know you don't get that very often here in San Diego. So uh, he's pitched very well, but. But I'm not sure they're quite ready to contend. Yeah, it's a tough division. We talk about the Dodgers, who some say are the best team in all of baseball. I personally think that is the Houston Astros. What a complete package they have down in Houston. But Cody Bellinger, I don't know if we've seen the likes of this in, in, in quite a while. He's continuing to do what he does. He doesn't strike out like he's been in years past. Uh, the long ball obviously comes into play with him. But how much better does he make that team in L.A.? At the beginning of the season – in spring training, Dave Roberts kind of issued uh, a, a kind of a, a, a warning to everybody. You know, there was a lot of guys upset about not being able to, to play every day because the, for the last few years, uh, it has been platoon central for it, it, at, at, in that Dodgers organization. And you had some guys speak out about, about it, and one of them was Cody Bellinger. Now, the, the challenge that was issued from Dave Roberts was, hey, if you want to play every day, you got to hit lefties and righties equally. And... The one thing I, I've noticed, especially we've played the Dodgers uh, in, in two series this season, uh, with two strikes, he's just a different hitter. He, he, he's no longer uh, going for at least trying to max out on his swing. It seems like he's shortening up. He, he's, he, he has a two-strike approach, and, and this is both against lefties and righties. And what, what isn't spoken about a lot when it comes to Cody Belger is not only is he a terrific athlete, uh, on the defensive end, but the kid can run. I mean, he, he's got potential uh, to be a 30-30 guy uh, when it's all said and done. It's just a matter of uh, how often um, he's able to, if he's able to keep up this pace, because right now, I mean, there's there's not a player better in baseball, I don't think, Ben. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to finish over 400, but he is uh, no, he's no, a little no, bit yeah. over that right now. But as we look at 
you know, the, I think I really think it's a it's a one horse race in the National League West. And and no no offense to your Padres, but uh, I None just don't taken. see anybody catching the Dodgers. Now there are some trade pieces out there in the National League West. I think Zach Greinke will go somewhere. I think Madison Bumgarner will go somewhere. It's just what team is willing and and who's on the no trade list for a couple of these guys. But you're talking about some giant salaries and whether or not a team is going to be willing to eat that salary or how much the Diamondbacks are going to have to pick up or how much the Giants are going to pick up. Where do you see Granke and Bumgarner going? That That's a good question. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, especially recently, of the Padres being like the number one destination. I think uh, Buster only wrote an article about that not too long ago. Uh, saying that that would be the number one destination from talking to, you know, people around the league. And Bumgarner is going to be an easier tell because the Giants are are out of it right now. Yeah. Uh, And and, and I think that's pretty obvious. The Grinky one's going to be more interesting because I think coming into the year, nobody expected the Arizona Diamondbacks to be playing as well as they have. And and most of us assumed that they were starting, you know, starting over again after trading uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as long as they keep winning, uh, especially when you consider the fact that there's only one trade deadline this year, they're going to have to make a decision whether they're buyers or sellers a lot sooner than you know teams have had to do in the past. So I, I'm not sure where Grinky goes. I, 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 there will probably be, I mean, I'm sure there will be more than a few teams that need starting pitching when it comes down to it, uh, including possibly the Boston Red Sox when it's all said and done. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I, I don't have a team in, in mind that I see, but I think the that's going to be a, a last-minute decision based on how the Diamondbacks have played so far. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be, uh, you know, to see where these guys go is going to be exciting. But we're looking at the NL Central. I've had a chance to see a couple of these teams in the National League Central, and, boy, they are solid. Uh, you yeah. got the, the Cubbies at the top and then the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Pirates uh, these guys, even the Reds, it's a very offensive-laden division. Take a look at the the Cubs. I mean, you're talking about perennial MVP candidates. I think Bellinger is obviously going to be there. But then in the Central, you have Baez and Yelich. I think Yelich is as special as they come. Um, Baez is a free swinger, and he just is able to get a barrel to a ball. I don't know how he can do it. But he's a very <laughs> confident young man. He does everything uh, with the ultimate of confidence. But uh, I'm looking at this, these teams, and I, I really want to say that I'm going to give the, the nod to the Brewers. I, I just, I, I'm not sure about the starting pitching of the Cubs. Uh, they do have Lester and Hamels. But Darvish is a, he's a, he's a coin toss right now. Um, you know, I just don't see them. You never know what you're going to get with Quintana, although, although he's been good as of late. And whether or not these guys can continue their offensive, I just, uh, I just look at the Brewers as thinking, you know what, they just have too many pieces. This lineup, especially one through six, is pretty darn dominant. And I'm looking forward to see how this race, you know, really settles uh, in the NL Central. I don't see the Cardinals going anywhere. And the Pirates, what Josh Bell has done, nearing 50 RBIs, and we're just a couple months in, Junior. I mean, we he, they just left here before the Diamondbacks showed up, and he is so much improved. Chain made some some tweaks to his stance. He kind of got rid of the leg kick on the right side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's standing taller, uh, and he's just in a better position to hit. And we saw that on display. Uh, on Saturday where he hit two home runs here at Petco Park, one to, to, to right center, which is not a short shot by any means, and then one to left center. 
he's just improved. And you're talking to the people around the organization. Uh, he's one of the hardest working individuals that they have on that ball club, and it's showing. Uh, in regards to the Brewers and Cubs, I mean, it, it, it might be a two-team race in that division for the for the division, but there could be one or two teams that come out of this bad boy for the wild card. I, I think it's the, one of the toughest divisions uh, in baseball when you break it down. I mean, uh, the Cardinals are kind of laying in the middle of the road, but you always anticipate them making a late run. They seem to do it every single season. Uh, then you have the Cubs, and you mentioned they're pitching it. It's after Hamels and after Lester, there are a bunch of coin flips, and, and they may be, may be one of the teams that, if Arizona falls out, uh, could go after a guy like Zach Grinky. But uh, I, I agree with you, Ben. Milwaukee right now, to me, is, is the team to beat in that division. I like the addition of, of bringing in Gio Gonzalez because that's where I think they're weak a little bit is that starting pitching. So, uh, and and they've they've you know Kyle Davies has pitched very well for him this year. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that deep that that division fares out. Uh, I think they have the most consistent offense. You talked about Christian Yelich, man. He's he has turned himself into a, it seems like a perennial MVP candidate. Uh, the way he's gone out and played. He, he's showing this year that last year was no fluke by, by no shot. They were in Philadelphia uh, last week, and I was doing the games in the booth. I actually had our producer run back Christian Yelts' swing, and to get on the technical side of things, uh, we could talk hitting for a minute. Christian Yelts is a guy, he's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, right? But he stands upright in the box, and where he sets, his, his back left foot is a little bit close to the chalk line towards the end of the box. His middle foot is halfway in the box. When he gets done his stride, his right foot, his stride foot, is on the chalk line in front of the box. It's a yeah. long stride. It's, it's, it's about a foot and a half, maybe two feet long. And I had our producer run it back. I said, I just wanted to point out the way that he's able to gain so much ground with his foot, but he doesn't chase it with his hands or his head. He's a big guy. You usually don't see strides that long. You know, it's something your dad always talked yeah. about, getting your foot down early. That was his biggest key. And Yelich is able to gain that much ground, but he doesn't move forward with his body. No, and his head doesn't move, which is it's remarkable. It, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I've never seen a stride that long. I mean, you talk about his back foot being almost on the chalk and landing uh, pretty much when he picks his foot up, it lands on the front part of the chalk at, at, the, at the top of the box. Just for comparison, my dad, who hit at the very front of the box, where his foot was maybe moved an inch and a half, but he was already up. Yelich is, is doing the same thing, but because of the stride length, you would think he'd have a lot of head movement, and he hasn't. And, and he's seemingly, when he was in Miami, he was a lot taller. He stood up. Now he's got a little bit more flex in his legs, and, and it seems like it's, it's tapped into his power source because uh, he always hit the ball well the opposite field, but now he's starting to pull balls with some authority and you know that's really what led to his MVP year he's uh, just been terrific not running as much as he used to but certainly uh, from a production standpoint offensively he's as good as it gets yeah he is he is a special player that's for sure but uh, you know we can move on to the the National League East and uh, the Phillies sit atop that division right now they obviously with the the key acquisitions they made I've been very very impressed with the acquisitions of McCutcheon and Real Muto, obviously Bryce Harper, 
But what Gene Segura has brought to this ball club is just amazing. He's from a defensive standpoint, the dude has a howitzer attached to his right shoulder. I mean, he just he he lets some balls loose across the diamond. It is fun to watch. But talk about a man that can get a barrel to a ball. He believes he can hit everything, and that's what I absolutely love about him. I was talking to uh, Andrew Knapp, the Phillies' backup catcher. He was waiting uh, early in the season. He was waiting for his group to hit, and and Gene Segura's group was actually in the cage, and they were hitting and. And I, I looked at Andrew Knapp and I said, man, I could watch this guy hit, take BP all day long. And he looks at me and goes, you know what, Ben? He really, really, really hates to get out. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I mean, he, every time he gets out, I don't care if the Phillies are up 10-1 and he's batting in the eighth inning and he makes it out, he is frustrated. The dude loves to hit. He loves to get knocks. Ben, let me ask you a question. Since you're around that ball club so often, what, what has the dynamic been – with Bryce Harper, obviously you guys go out and you, you sign him to the big deal. Uh, and, and he got off to a slow start. He's seemingly starting to get it together, though, here offensively. What has the dynamic been like having him in that locker room? Uh, he's been great, honestly, Tony. He's been, he's been great. He's done all the right things. He's said all the right things. Uh, and despite some of his offense, I mean, he's still getting on base. He's still walking a lot. He is striking out a little bit more than we'd like him to. Uh, but the power numbers are going to be there. You know, when the, the year ends and you look at his bubblegum card, it's going to be 30 to 35 to 40 home runs. He's going to walk 130 times. Uh, he's going to strike out a bunch. But he's, what he's brought to this ball club is that added thump in the lineup. He always, you know, when he comes up to the plate, it's like, okay, I got to watch this AB. You know, you never know what he's going to do. He had a ball last weekend over the, the center field batter's eye at 466. It was one of yeah. the most prestigious. That was, that was absolutely <laughs> nuts. I've never seen a ball there, and I was there for a year. I didn't right. see anybody throw a ball up there, let alone hit a ball up there. I know. I said crazy. I couldn't hit a pitching wedge over that wall from center field. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, what he's brought. And the other thing is he hasn't carried his offense over to his defense. He has played oh. an unbelievable right field, throwing guys out from the outfield, making divey, diving catches. He has been really, really good in, in setting this. And like I said, he's been great with us. He's been great with the media. Uh, a couple nights he got booed. He said, yeah, I would have booed me too. He said, I was terrible tonight. So he, I think he gets it, especially in a, in a major, in a big market like Philadelphia where they have ravenous fans. You know that from playing there, Tony. Yeah, um, yeah. These guys are into all the four, four sports that they have in, in, in Philadelphia, and, and he's making the most of it. I mean, he's going to have to be. He's, he's here for 13 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got no choice. <laughs> he certainly isn't going anywhere. Yeah, sure. and it's this is a division, I think, that that it's – I thought it was going to be a, a four-horse race. I really thought that it was going to be the Phillies and the Braves and the Mets and the Nationals, but the Mets and the Nationals are going through a bunch of turmoil right now, both with their skippers at the top, Mickey Calloway with the Mets, uh, Davey, uh, Davey Martinez with the Nationals. You don't know what's going to happen. These guys are they're on a short leash right now. One of my favorite players on, on that roster is Cesar Hernandez. Yes. He, he's having a terrific season. I've always liked his game. What, what, what is his role on this team right now? Well, he's, he's done a great job. Believe it or not, he's, I mean, he's hitting in the sixth hole, and it was a thing that Gabe Kapler said, if we want to keep this line moving, we know what the top five guys can do. Right, we know McCutcheon's going to get on base. Segura's going to move him around. Harper's going to have thump. Hassan's going to have thump. JT Romuto move guys around, and have some thump. Who's if we want to really keep this line moving? What are we going to? Who are we going to put there? And Gabe Kapler said that's going to be Cesar Hernandez. He makes contact uh, from both sides of the plate. He has been so good, and it's Ooh. it's 
he's not swinging as hard. I know it sounds silly, but the bat is it's just he's not putting as much effort into his swing and the ball's jumping both sides of the plate. He's a doubles machine. He can run. Uh, but he has really stepped up his game. And I think the pressure of maybe Scott Kingry moving in and taking his job has really kind of pushed him to the forefront. He's been outstanding for the Phillies. Uh, he looks to continue it. I mean, he's, he's up over 300 um, in the low 300s. And I, th- I think he's just gaining that confidence where he said, you know what, I can do this on a daily basis. But his, his game has really been stepped up, and it's been fun to watch. I, I got to say, I, watching from afar, uh, I, I gained a lot of respect from Jake Arrieta. Uh, the night Bryce got ejected uh, from the game, uh, and it's not that it was needed to be said, but not a lot of people would have said what Jake said. He seems to be the guy that kind of is the heartbeat of, of this ball club. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a voice, and I think he – I wouldn't say he's the Pied Piper, but that guy's definitely follow his lead. Uh, yeah. he's, he's been there. He's done it. He's, he's – you know, the hardware that he's achieved over the years – I think guys kind of gravitate towards what he has to say and how he handles his business. But he is a guy that really uh, that takes you know ownership of the ball club and, and tries to steer the team in the right direction. Um, but, you know, this division is going to be – it'll be fun to watch. I think it's going to ultimately end up being the Phillies and the Braves. The Braves show no sign of, of backing down. So we'll see what happens uh, in the National League East. But maybe take a look at some of the other divisions out there, you know, American League West – um, I wouldn't say that's the strongest division out there, yeah. but there are some some stunners, <laughs> that's for sure. No, yeah, the American League West is it, it's kind of hard to figure it out, right? I mean, after you get past the Houston Astros, that's the best team in baseball right now. Yeah. Um, when I, I I the one guy in this game that I enjoy watching like on an everyday basis is George Springer. Mm-hmm. I, I I just enjoy his game uh, at the leadoff spot able to slug, able to run, able to defend. There's just so much he brings to the table. And, and, you know, there's pretty much an entire lineup of guys like that on that squad. But after you get past that ball club, it's kind of hard to figure out what you got, right? The Mariners started off hot. They've come back down to earth, probably where we all anticipated them being. Yeah, all they do is hit home runs. (laughs) Right. And a lot of them. They hit a bunch of them, but it's not quite turning into wins right now. And then you – you have the Angels, who I can't quite figure them out. Their pitching seems to always be in flux. Uh, the A's, who who came out of nowhere last year, have kind of regressed a little bit, and that from that standpoint, so it's really a tough division. Yeah, it's it's. I just don't see the the Astros. I. I... They can beat you in so many different ways. And we get to see them in spring training down in Clearwater. They'll come over. And I sit up in the booth and I marvel at the different ways they can beat you. They can beat with power. They can obviously, they're starting pitching as a joke with Verlander and Cole and Peacock. These guys are unbelievable. Uh, They have the back end pieces, but they can beat you with thump. They can beat you with speed. Altuve, what he what he brings when he's healthy, and you know, hopefully they'll get back, him back soon. Uh, these guys are just so good; they can beat you with defense. They do all the right things, and I think AJ Hinch at the helm there, he really has a good grasp of, of how to run this team. And you know, moving on to the AL Central, how about the Twinkies? Did you see this coming, Junior? I did, I did. I we had you're I, lying. Our, you're I lying. Promise, you didn't see I, this coming. I promise you. On our radio <laughs> show, we had a little preview, and I picked them to win the wild card. I didn't pick them to be at the top of the division like they are, but I thought they would be good. It just seemed like a lot of the young guys on that ball club 
were starting to to mature a little bit. And now you add a guy, you add Nelson Cruz to the mix, and that young pitching staff is is starting to blossom right at the right time. And I, if I'm being honest, I thought Cleveland would eventually, you know, run away with the division, and the Twins would finish right there for the wild card. But I'd be lying if I said I had them at the top of the division and rolling the way they are, though. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. Yeah, you talk about home runs. You talk about Mariners hitting the ball out of the ballpark. But the Twins, man, they can absolutely Massive. slug it. Um, and speaking of uh, those Indians, do you see maybe some of these guys being on the move? Maybe Kluber or Bauer? Is there any way they could get get, get moved? Because... You know, if it's a team that's in flux, you know the Indians are not going to spend a lot of money. Maybe they can get some prospects back. Padres have been leaked to Kluber uh, for for quite some while, as well as Bauer. They've been they've been they've been linked to both of them. Now I don't know if that changes with the injury to Kluber or not. But uh, the, the Indians are in a weird spot. It, it 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 doesn't seem like it. The moves that they did or didn't make during the offseason indicated that didn't necessarily indicate that they were trying to continue what they were doing. I mean, by all indications, uh, during the offseason, it seemed like they were trying to move Kluber or Bauer. Uh, that didn't come to fruition, but those type of things don't happen. Those those stories don't really start trickulating unless there's a, a little bit of smoke to it. So uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. They've had some injuries. Uh, they've had some guys come off, start off the year with, with uh, pretty slow, and that hasn't helped things. Uh, it, it's nice to get a guy like Lindor back because you know the type of player he can be. But mm, it, it, it's, it, it's really hard to, to figure out where they're going. And the Twins aren't making it, making it easier on them by, by any means. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, intriguing to see what's going to happen there in the Central. Moving on to the East, you have the Yankees at the top and the Rays and the Red Sox. I think this is going to be a... a a three-horse race. You have two teams in the top three with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Let's start with the Yankees. What they've been able to do with the rash of injuries, and I think rash of injuries is an understatement, what they've had had to deal with with Stanton and Judge, and it's just unbelievable that they still sit atop the American League East with everything that's been going on. you got to get a lot of credit to Aaron Boone and what they've been able to do. But once he gets some of these guys back, watch out. Man, I mean, you got to give a ton of credit to Aaron Boone. You got to give a ton of credit to, to the scouting department for the Yankees because as all those injuries happen, they just kept plucking guys up from AAA and they come in and they fill in perfectly. And it's 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 amazing. I mean, because just when you think the Yankees can't you know do any more, they pull off a stunt like this where over half of their roster is hurt or on the DL. And they find themselves two games up after taking two or three from Tampa. Aaron Boone has is, is got to be, I mean, I know it's early. Uh, he's got to be at the forefront for manager of the year, the way his squad has been completely decimated by injuries, and yet they still sit atop the division. It, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, we know the Red Sox are going to be there at the end of the year, but the Rays, I think, again, have surprised everybody in what they're yeah. able to do. Blake Snell is absolutely nasty. Uh, hopefully they can get Glassnell back and, and get him healthy again. But uh, as we go back towards the other end of the spectrum with the Baltimore Orioles, I think it is an absolute travesty. It's a sin. It's awful as to what they are trying to do down in Baltimore. It's a beautiful ballpark. That, that ballpark is withheld. You know, uh, time is, is, is definitely still on their side with that ballpark. It's a beautiful place. But 
I, I don't see how it's even possible. I, it's it's almost a crime to put that, and you know, no no offense to the players, but to have the ownership group put a team like this out on the ball field every night, I think it's a travesty. Yeah, I mean, they're not the only ones either. The Marlins are involved in that too, and this is a baseball issue. This is almost incentivized to tank, basically, right. and throw a bad product out there so you can get that draft pick in. And it, and it, you know who suffers? It's it's the fans. It's the fans that pay the money to, to come out and watch, and, and they're the ones who who suffer because of it. But I agree, Ben. There there really is no excuse. And and listen, teams have been doing this for years. This isn't like the first time teams have started doing. It. But now it seems as though there's they're rewarded for it. And right. I I think Major League Baseball as and the players union are going to have to figure out something. Uh, to really prevent teams from going this route. I mean, you can be awful and still put at least a major league product. And and, and I said, no disrespect, uh, but the, the, the reality, the facts say that these teams aren't good, and they're not good by a, a, a large uh, a large amount. Yeah, it's. I think it's just, you know, you, you get back to the fans, and you would think, like, in the, the whole tanking thing, you think that it's it's something that, okay, it's okay to do in basketball because you know you're going to get somebody that's going to be there in the in, in, at the NBA level the following year. You draft, you tank, yeah. you get a high draft pick, he's going to be there in the NBA the following year. If you tank and get the first overall pick in, in baseball – Maybe draft a high school kid. He's not going to be there for yeah. four or five years at the minimum. And so and that you is think the problem. that, yeah, how much does that really behoove you to go ahead and just put that kind of, you know, crappy product out on the field when you're not going to get that guy back for five years? I don't get yeah. it. But what I like about the Astros is they they had some of those pieces come up through the farm system, but then they still went out and spent some money exactly. to go and get exactly. Cole, to go and get Verlander. That's what I like right. to see. Okay, grow them, and then, but you still got to put some money into it. So, um, you know, it, it's we'll see what happens in the in the AL East, but I think that's going to be a definitely exciting division to look at. One thing we can look forward to uh, later on in the show is having Joe Girardi come on this this program and get to talk to Joe. Uh, playing against Joe and, and you know, being a, a fellow backstop, watching him manage a couple ball clubs, just a very classy guy, and we're looking forward to seeing him come up. So we're going to head to break right now. I'm, I'm Ben Davis alongside Tony Gwynn Jr., and this is the Players Edition presented by Radio.com Sports. Joe Girardi, four-time World Series champion, all with the Yankees as a player and manager. He goes. Yeah. Here's Girardi's throw. They got it. Good play by Girardi to get it down there. The ball bounced, but it was right on target. That was the key. Now, a Radio.com Sports Insider. It's Joe Girardi on Big Time Baseball, Players Edition. This is Big Time Baseball, Players Edition, presented by Radio.com Sports. I'm Tony Gwynn alongside Ben Davis. And let's bring on uh, Joe Girardi, four-time World Series champion and now valued Radio.com Sports Insider. Uh, you can find Joe's work on Radio.com forward slash sports and on Twitter at RDC Sports. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Ben. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Good to hear your voice, Joe. Yeah, yeah. So where are you guys? Somewhere sunny, I hope. <laughs> well, well, Junior is in San Diego where it is sunny. and I. Am it actually in... <laughs> is not sunny here. It it's is not? raining here. No, it has been raining like the last three days. Oh. So. Really? Uh, unfortunately, it's not sunny California. 
And I am in Chicago. Uh, Joe, I missed you the other night in Chicago. I know you guys had the game of the, game of the week uh, with MLB Network, but I was in the booth, uh, a couple of booths down from you. A little chilly, but a lot nicer today. So we're, we're doing oh, all right. Good. Joe, I, 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 let's start. I want to ask you a, a little bit about, you know, some of the rumors that are flying with, with Mickey Calloway and Dave Martinez. And what is it like for a manager, you know, to, to be in the, in the fire, uh, trying to manage his ball club and having to deal with – these type of, uh, of rumors and, and people talking? Yeah, it's questions that you don't want to ask. The questions you want to ask are really you want them to be relative your, to your club and, and, you know, thoughts about your club, not about your job security. And I feel for both of those guys because, you know, I've been let go twice in my career, and it's, it's really difficult to go through And because you put your heart and soul into it and you work really hard like Davey has and, and like Mickey has, and sometimes – you know, teams just don't play well. Sometimes it could be, for whatever reasons, injuries, lack of talent, you know, for a lot of different reasons. And that's the last thing you want to be dealing with. But, you know, you go to work and you focus on what you can do, you know, that day. Maybe a little bit of heat has come off Mickey, but then it shifts to the other guy. So you figure with a series like this, the Mets and Washington, one of them's going to get it, and I feel for him. You know, Joe, you look at uh, the, the career that you had as a, as a backstop, and I want to get into the, the catching side of some things. Uh, you, your career as a backstop, played for a lot of teams, World Series champion multiple times, and now you're, from a managerial standpoint, uh, you know, World Series champion, which is unbelievable to make that transition, be able to do what you do. But I want to look, talk about a little bit about the catching and I'm looking out there right now, and, and there's not a whole lot of good catching out there. I, I talked to an umpire the other night, and he said, I actually missed eight pitches. And this is a, a guy that's been around for a while. He said, I missed eight pitches that were strikes, but the catcher actually was trying to make more of a strike, and he saw the, the mitt move as much as possible, and he said, you know what, that's got to be a ball. He's trying to yank it back. Why is it all about the framing and all about it? There, there's so many pass balls now and wild pitches because guys don't know how to block balls. It's very frustrating because you did it the right way. I like to think that I did it the right way from a defensive standpoint. What are you seeing nowadays? Well, I, I think the reason that there's such a focus on framing now is it can be quantified by a formula into wins, what is per, you know what they perceive to be wins, and players are paid for it. So the players are obviously going to respond to it because players are paid for it. And I agree, there's way too many balls to get back to the screen, and I think guys are not in good positions to block. I think they sit too low. I don't think they're in great positions sometimes to catch high pitches, but it's all about the perception. You know, if you're a plus framer, you win maybe, you know, 1.3 more games than the next guy, and then you get paid for that. So until they really quantify – and this is the harder to quantify what letting a ball gets by a catcher does, not only to, to the run sort of thing, but what does it do to a pitcher's psyche? And that's what they can't yeah. quantify. If you're not a good blocker, what does it do to a pitcher's psyche when, you know, you want to bury a breaking ball, but I'm afraid because I'm afraid it might get by the catcher, and then they end up hanging it. So to me, it's a position that requires a lot. It's not just framing, but unfortunately – that's where we've went to. It's blocking balls. It's, it's running a game, running a game plan, adjusting on the fly. It's throwing base runners out. There are so many jobs that a catcher has to do, but here's the focus. Framing and pitch calling. And the pitch calling is given to them a lot of times on a wristband. Mm-hmm. You've got to deviate. As much as you want to stay with the game plan, 
this guy just doesn't have his curveball today, so I got to do something. And that's where I think it becomes tricky because I don't think catchers do enough homework on other ways to get hitters out. Exactly right. It's almost like they stick to that game plan. There are many times where I put a finger down, you get a shake. You put a finger down, you get a shake. You call timeout, you go out to the mound, you say, I want to throw a breaking ball here. And I'd say to the pitcher, did you just see that swing on the fastball? We're off the page here. That dude was way late. He's hitting rockets over the dugout. I say, we're not, we're not going to speed his bat up here. And the pitcher looked at me like, huh? It's so it's it's so mind-boggling that the pitchers don't they don't watch the swings at times. You have to get off that sheet. You have to go with your gut at times. The catcher's really, to me, the only one who knows if a pitcher can execute a pitch because it's it's hard to sit on the side of the dugout and say you should throw a fastball in because we can't tell exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see by how much a catcher's glove moves, but a catcher has a feel. You know what? I, I know it's the right pitch. There were many times I'd be back there and I say I know what the right pitch is. But I don't think the pitcher can execute it, so i got to go a different way. And if you're not watching a lot of tape and doing the studying yourself, it's hard for you to deviate because what are you deviating from? You, you don't know the hitter as well as you should. So I agree. I, I just think that in a perfect world, this is the way to do it, right? You know, this is the way to get a hitter out. I, I got it. I understand it. But you have to be able to deviate depending on what the pitcher has. I'm Tony Gwynn Jr. alongside Ben Davis here on Big Time Baseball Players Edition presented by Radio.com Sports. And we're joined by Joe Girardi, Radio.com Sports Insider. Joe, I sat, I'm sitting here listening to you and Ben go back and forth, and it's clear that you have an abundance of knowledge when it comes to this game. You had a lot of success as a manager. Uh, is there, are you itching to get back into to managing again? I am. You know, I really loved managing, and, and I do want to manage again. And, um, you know, you see, if you get the opportunity, I mean, that's basically what comes down to it. There's only 30 jobs. You figure if you've been two places, you're probably not getting a job back there. So now you're down to 28. And then there's a, there's a lot of good teams, so you figure, well, it's not going to happen there. So the jobs are very limited. So I am interest, I'm interested in, in all jobs, and I will just, you know, continue to see what happens for me. Right now I'm broadcasting on MLB and, and, and doing some games for Fox. Um, I, I do love managing it, and I would like to get back into it. And we're lucky that we had any of this segment left because when he started asking me about catching, that could have got really, really <laughs> I could go on and on, Joe. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I tried to get in there, but you guys just seemed to be going too quick, so I just <laughs> let you guys go. Joe, from a managerial standpoint, how how much has the game changed? I know there's a lot of with the analytics and sabermetrics. How much does that really factor into the calls that you make, the lineups you write, and going out and getting a pitcher in a, in a certain situation? How much does that factor in now? You know, for me, it, it, it did factor a lot because I used it anyway. It was something I had been doing for a long time, um, creating what they call runways myself by using numbers and, and zones and what pitchers were able to do um, lineups, looking at, you know, who swings the bat, watching film. But I think it has changed the game a lot. Um, you know, sometimes I hear pitchers or managers say, you know, we wanted to get him through this hitter. Well, sometimes you got to watch the swings before they get to that hitter. Cause they might tell you he's done, even though you wanted to get him through that hitter. So I think it does factor. Um, I, I think, the best managers are able to take the analytics, use them as a guideline, and deviate when they have to, when they notice something is, is not right. Because I think the analytics always tell a story, but they don't necessarily tell a story at that moment because there's a human element involved. You know, you can say, you know, I got, I got 
you know, Jacob DeGrom on, on, on the bump today, and he's got 32 starts, and 16 of them he's going to have really good stuff, and the other 16 he's not going to have great stuff. So I got to deviate sometimes when he doesn't have his great stuff, and that's that's the job of a manager. Joe, is it, is it simply analytics when it comes? Because I've heard more about third time through the lineup than I can ever remember ever hearing at any point in my life. Hey, he's not getting through this 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 time, and we need to get him out. Is it just that simple? Well, I, the numbers dictate how he does. You know, the first, second, and third. You know, I was looking at a stat on John Lester. The second time through is the time that he has the trouble. The first time, it's still really good numbers, right? They're still really good. But the first time, he's dominant, OPS under 600. The third time, he was like 615 of an OPS. The second time, I think it was in the 700. So the second time was the time that he struggled. And you know what? It came to fruition when I was in Washington. That's exactly what happened. But but you can see he was struggling all day. But it, it, it is that simple. But here's the other thing have to measure you have to measure who you have in your bullpen and you know a lot of times they look at ops the third time through was the guy you're bringing him uh bringing in better than what he is because if you're bringing the seventh pitcher in your bullpen he may not be better than the starter but the closer and the eighth inning guy are definitely going to be better so it's something that you have to blend together depending on what you have that day. Well, Joe, we certainly appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll continue to look out for you on MLB and Fox. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Joe. We appreciate it. Have a great day, guys. Well, uh, that's all for our show today. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball Players Edition presented by Radio.com Sports. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. Be sure to give us a five-star review Twitter at RDC Sports. Until next time, Tony Gwynn Jr., Ben Davis, we'll see you. Thanks so much. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.